Welcome to the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, where we listen, learn, and love together. Our speaker today is Pastor Jonathan Panado. John chapter 8 and verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Our sermon this morning is entitled, Women Are Not for Stoning. Women are not for stoning. Let us pray once more, Father. Again, we ask for your Holy Spirit to give us insight into this story. Speak to us through this encounter that Jesus had with this woman. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. This passage of John chapter 8 is a contentious passage. It is contentious for two reasons. First of all, this passage does not appear in any of the early New Testament Greek manuscripts until about the late 4th century or early 5th century. In fact, you may have a note about that in your Bible. In fact, this whole passage may be in italics because of that. And some have taken it to believe that, that this, this means that this passage is not authentic. Yet we have evidence from early Christian writings prior to the 4th and 5th century where they were alluding to this story. And in fact, I do believe that this story is authentic. It is an authentic account of what Jesus did in an encounter that he had. But this passage is also contentious because of its graphic nature. After all, you have a woman who is caught in the very act of adultery, brought into the temple before Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He forgives her. He forgives her. Jesus simply forgives her. That forgiveness comes so easily in this story may make us uncomfortable. I can hear parents saying, I don't want my daughters committing adultery and then telling me Jesus forgave this woman and therefore you should forgive me. 
This passage almost seems to lighten the consequences of sin and perhaps even give a license for sin. Don't worry, Jesus will forgive you. After all, forgiveness shouldn't come that easily, should it? Shouldn't there be some form of effort or perhaps penance before forgiveness is granted? This story also illustrates how we view certain sins as more easy to forgive than others. Now, let's just change the scenario of this story just a little bit. Let's imagine that the person here had been caught stealing. Perhaps we could say, well, we don't know their circumstance. Perhaps they were, uh, they were very poor, and, and out of their need, they stole something. And we wouldn't have any problem with Jesus just forgiving them so easily, would we? Say the person here had said a lie. We could say, well, perhaps uh, the person was uh, under stress and, and, and was afraid and, and said a lie out of fear. And we wouldn't have any problems with Jesus forgiving them so easily. Perhaps even if the person standing before us had committed murder, we could say, well, they didn't really mean it. Just anger swept over them at that moment. They really didn't mean it. And we wouldn't have a hard time with Jesus forgiving them so easily. But for a sin of sexual immorality, it just seems that that scarlet letter just never seems to go away, does it? Our story this morning actually begins in John chapter 7. It is the Feast of Tabernacles. It was the last festival of the Jewish festivals uh, held typically in the fall. And it is the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. And up to this point, the majority of Jesus' ministry has been in Galilee, to the north of Jerusalem and in Judea. To minister in Galilee is one thing. To minister in Jerusalem is another. You see, Galilee is rural. Galilee is country. Jerusalem, on the other hand, is urban. Jerusalem is cosmopolitan. Jerusalem is the seat of Jewish power. It is the center of Jewish education. It is the center of religious authority and also the center of wealth of the Jewish nation. And every time Jesus walks into Jerusalem, Jesus challenges the entire establishment. For him to preach in the middle of nowhere Galilee, where there's just a bunch of farmers, who cares? We can tolerate that. But for Jesus to now walk into Jerusalem and to challenge the establishment, that is another thing. The Jews in this passage, the Jewish leaders are upset with Jesus and they want to kill Jesus. And they want to kill him because he healed a paralytic man on Sabbath. And that story you can find in John chapter 5, the story of the paralytic man at the pool of Bethesda. And it has been almost over a year and a half, and the Jewish leaders are still upset with Jesus, and they still want to kill him. They see Jesus as a threat to their power. And Jesus is living in a time when if you are the opposition, you get killed. 
We don't live in those days, do we? That doesn't happen in our days, does it? Now, as far as the people are concerned, the people don't know what to think about Jesus. Place yourselves in their feet here. John chapter 7 and verse 12. John chapter 7 and verse 12. Notice what it says. Among the crowds, among the people, uh, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. But others replied, no, he deceives the people. You know, it's easy for us now, with 2,000 years separated from this event, having many Christian scholars and and Christian individuals having studied the prophecies of who Jesus is and, and the Old Testament prophecies, we can now see it clearly that Jesus was the Messiah. But when you're in the moment, things aren't as easy to discern. Jesus wasn't walking around with a halo around his head. There wasn't a light that was coming down from heaven following him everywhere that he went. Angels were not visibly around him, surrounding him. Isaiah chapter 53 says, who has believed our report? Who has believed that this is the Messiah? There is no beauty or or attraction in him that, that should attract us to him, that we should desire him. He was like a root out of dry ground, is what the Bible says. And so the people are confused. They don't know what to think about him. Verse 40. John chapter 7 and verse 40. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He's the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, from the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. And some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Jesus is a very polarizing figure. If you lived in those days, you would either love Jesus or you would hate Jesus. The Jewish leaders are trying to trap him. They're trying to catch him. They send a group of soldiers out to arrest him. And when the soldiers get to where Jesus is and they hear the words that Jesus is saying and they they hear what he is saying, the the soldiers just turn around and come back. And and then the Pharisees say, where is it? We sent you to arrest them. And the soldiers said, we have never heard anyone speak like this man. And then the Jewish leaders told the soldiers, what, has he deceived you too? You're ignorant. You don't know the law. Can you feel the tension that there there is in this passage? Nicodemus intervenes. Yes, the same Nicodemus of John chapter 3. He intervenes. And then everyone goes home for the night. Wow, what a day. And in John chapter 8, verse 2, the Bible tells us that Jesus came back to the temple that following morning. And he sat down and he began to teach. And as he is sitting down and teaching in the temple, the Jewish leaders, a crowd and a mob, comes in dragging in a woman with them. And they place her before him. And then they say, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. And the law, in the law, Moses says we need to stone her. What do you say? Now, there's a lot of problems 
there's a lot of problems with what the Pharisees are doing here right now. First of all, how inappropriate for them to interrupt the teaching of Jesus in the temple to bring this woman there and to decide the matter. Surely there were other times that they could have done this. Surely there could have been other venues for them to decide the matter. A venue where even the dignity of this woman could be maintained. But you see, these people, they don't care about sacred space. They're in the temple. And they don't care about people. People don't matter to them. I mean, just imagine someone interrupting our service here while we're worshiping, right? You know, how inappropriate that would be. There's other times and there's other places. Second of all, they tell Jesus that this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Now, this raises serious questions. How do religious professionals catch a woman in the very act of adultery? Use your imagination a little bit. Not that we want to make light of this, but were they under the bed? Were they in the closet? Were they standing outside of the door or outside of the woman? How do religious professionals catch a woman in the very act of adultery? Thirdly, adultery is rather difficult to do alone. And these, uh, these Jewish leaders, they appeal to the law. They say Moses in the law says that we need to stone her. They appeal to the law, but they seem to have overlooked at that same passage that they are, are alluding to, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. That same passage says that both guilty parties are to be brought to justice. If she was caught in the act, her partner had, had to have been seen and thereby identified. So where is the man? Where is he? If they're so zealous for the law, why didn't they arrest both of them? What's their real agenda? The Bible tells us in verse 6, they were using this as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. Their agenda was nothing less than the public humiliation of Jesus. And so now we have a fourth problem. We have a woman who is standing there exposed, trembling in her shame. The intent of the Pharisees is the public humiliation of Jesus, but in the process, they are willing to exploit this woman as a pawn in their power play. They're working that all-too-familiar combination of sex, a woman, sin, public humiliation, and a double standard. That doesn't happen today, does it? They didn't care that she could potentially be killed. There was no effort on their part to help her, only to use her and exploit her. And my friends, Jesus stands in firm opposition to all of this. And at this moment, Jesus is no longer thinking about himself anymore. 
He is not thinking about how he can vindicate himself. All Jesus is thinking about now at this moment is, how can I protect this woman? How can I restore her dignity? Do not overlook this woman. Jesus didn't overlook this woman. You see, Jesus is telling us this morning that women are not for stoning. What happened to this woman, unfortunately, has been played out for centuries by countless thousands, yea, millions of women. All those around her are indifferent to her suffering. And she has no opportunity to tell her story or to explain what happened. She is alone. In this country and around the world, we read stories of women being abused, mistreated, raped, tortured, killed, denied basic human rights, denied in education. The story of 12-year-old Malala Yousafzai comes to mind. She was shot three times. One of those times, one of those bullets went through her forehead. All because she wanted an education. And she spoke against the violence of the Taliban in Pakistan. Just like Jesus, we too need to take a stand against the violence, abuse, exploitation and injustice against women here at this church and in our homes for Jesus is telling us that women are not for stoning women are not for abusing women are not for exploiting and we need to raise awareness and talk about that elephant in the room yes abuse takes place within seventh day Adventist homes And churches. It may make us feel uncomfortable, but we need to talk about it and be open about it. Statistics tell us that about 25 to 30 percent of members in the North American division experience some type of abuse in their lifetime. The most vulnerable are women and children. And so let me say this, men. Men, we need to do everything we can to protect our women and to protect our children from harm. They are a treasure to us. The health and well-being of our homes, of our churches, and of our society will depend on the degree to which we protect women and children and can provide safe homes for them. We can't be like the ostrich who places their hand in the, in the who places their heads in the sand. We cannot afford to turn a blind eye as if nothing happens. In fact, the greatest complaint of those who are abused in churches is that the church did nothing. We need to talk about sexual abuse. We need to talk about verbal abuse. We need to talk about physical abuse, about emotional abuse, even about spiritual abuse, and even about bullying. To the extent that we're willing to address these issues openly, can healing from and prevention of abuse take place? As leaders, as a pastor, as elders, as deacons, as deaconesses, we are trying to equip ourselves 
to make this place here a safe place, a harbor of hope, of help, and of healing. For Jesus is telling us this morning that women are not for stoning. Women are not for abusing. Women are not for exploiting. And so we come back to our story in John chapter 8. And even though the Pharisees are seeking to accuse Jesus, they're seeking to trap him, they're, they're trying to see how they can ensnare him. Jesus is not thinking about how he can defend himself or vindicate himself or protect himself. All he has in mind is, how can I protect and redeem this woman? And Jesus doesn't bother to give them an explanation. Jesus simply bends down. And he begins to write on the ground. What is Jesus writing? The Bible doesn't tell us. And they continue to press the issue to Jesus. And Jesus continues to write. What is Jesus writing? The Bible doesn't tell us. But they continue to press the issue, and so then Jesus finally stands. And he utters those iconic words. The one among you who is without sin, let him be the first to cast the stone. And then Jesus continues to bend down and continues writing on the ground. And the Bible tells us in verse 7 that one by one, from the oldest to the last, they all walked away. What was Jesus writing? The Bible doesn't tell us. But I think it does give us a hint. Turn to John chapter 7 and verse 19. John chapter 7 and verse 19, a very similar passage to John chapter 8. In John chapter 7 and verse 19, Jesus says, Has not Moses given you the law? In John chapter 8, we have these group of Pharisees saying, Moses in the law told us that we need to stone this woman. You see the parallels. Jesus says, has not Moses given you the law, yet no one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? You see, Jesus could read their minds. Jesus knew what was going on on the inside of their hearts. Verse 20, they replied, no, you're demon possessed. Who is trying to kill you? They try to deny it. I try to deny it too when my wife, and you know it, when your spouse reads your mind. It happens. It's a moment of truth. They can do it. And when they read your mind, you immediately say, no, no, I wasn't thinking that. That's not what I was thinking. And they have no way of knowing, right? They can't get inside your mind. But Jesus can read the minds and the hearts of these people. 
And so I can imagine that what he is doing is that he is writing down how this whole trap was set up and how it was planned. Who was involved and he is writing down all their sins. He is exposing them to public shame. You see, Jesus is willing to help this woman no matter the cost. And at the end of this chapter, at the end of John chapter 8, the very last word, the the very last verse, the very last verse, Jesus will pay the price for helping this woman. John chapter 8 verse 59 says, At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple or from the grounds. The very same stones that they had picked up to stone this woman with, at the end of this chapter, they will turn those stones upon Jesus. But Jesus is not deterred. Jesus stands as her mediator, as her protector. He takes action no matter the cost because Jesus is telling us women are not for stoning. And he is willing to do what it takes to defend this woman no matter the cost. And my friends, so should we. Now that Jesus has protected this woman from the mob... He will now turn to protect her from herself. In verse 10, John chapter 8 and verse 10, the Bible says Jesus looks at her and Jesus straightens up and he asks her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. And then Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and sin no more. Leave your life of sin. Indeed, there is one standing there who is without sin. Indeed, there is one there standing who is without sin, but he does not throw a stone. So then why do we, as his disciples, become sometimes so eager to throw stones at others? Jesus does not condemn her. And so then why we, his disciples, are often so quick to condemn others. Jesus does not condemn her, nor does he condone her behavior. Then why do we, by our silence, condone the sinful actions of others? Accountability, my friends, is essential within the Christian community. Accountability is uncomfortable, but it is essential, and we need to hold one another accountable. We need to help one another. But as we hold one another accountable, let us not do it in condemnation. Jesus does not overlook this woman's self-destructive lifestyle. Jesus addresses it. Jesus accepts the Old Testament code of proper and moral sexual conduct. But as he accepts that code, he removes the penalty for its transgression. For you see, Jesus is ushering in a new era. An era where he will bear the penalty of sin for the whole world. 
Isaiah chapter 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to their own way. And yet the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, Jesus is ushering in a new era where we do not no longer pay the penalty for our own sin, but He stands in as our mediator, as our Savior. He bears the penalty so that we can have forgiveness and hope and a new life. And so this morning I ask you, who have you hurt this morning and need to ask forgiveness? Who have you hurt this morning and need to ask forgiveness? Who around us is hurting? Who around us is hurting that we can come and do something about that? Even if it just means listening, understanding, encouraging them, praying with them and supporting them. Do not overlook the woman. Jesus does not overlook the woman. Jesus does not look anyone who is hurting. Who is around us that perhaps we haven't seen, that perhaps is in pain. And finally, can we make a decision this morning? Can we make a decision to make our homes a safe place? Can we make a decision to make our homes a place free from abuse of all forms? Can we make a decision this morning to make this place here, this church, a place that is safe, a place where there is help, where there is healing, and where there is hope? This podcast is brought to you by the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. Connect with them at www.jaxsda.org or on Facebook and YouTube. We look forward to sharing more inspiring messages with you.